You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. God's 7,000 year plan with the earth. You too can be involved. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed a podcast by Christadelphian Video. God's three great promises were made in Eden to Abraham and to King David, all pointing to a descendant, Jesus the Christ, who would establish a 1,000-year reign of righteousness and peace upon this earth. The blessings of that age can be ours through our belief in the gospel, baptism into Christ, and a life of obedience to God's principles. God's 7,000 year plan with the earth, you can be involved. And certainly that's a, a very exciting statement that we've made there and that we're gonna consider this evening. And just from the outset, just a, a few things as it were to set the scene. We'd like to say that the Christadelphians are Bible students and we base our beliefs on the Bible. And so we'd like to state that the basis of our consideration this evening will be from the Bible, which is God's inspired word that he has given to us. And that word inspired, God's inspired word, it means that it is God-breathed. It came forth from God. And so it is his word. It came from him, and it can be relied upon. And so in the Bible, God has revealed a number of things about himself and about his plan and purpose. He has revealed to us that he is from everlasting to everlasting. That is, he has no beginning and no ending. He also is the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything we see around us. And everything is sustained each day by him. And yes, he does have a plan with the earth. In the book of the prophet Isaiah in the Bible at chapter 45 and at verse 18, God says that he established the earth. He created it not in vain and he formed it to be inhabited. So we can see very very much that this earth that God has made, he formed it that there would be people that live upon it. And then there's a companion passage that goes along which we have up on the screen from Numbers, another book of the Bible in the Old Testament, Numbers 14 and at verse 21 that says, But as truly as I live, God says, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And so this is God's plan with the earth as revealed in the Bible. And yes, as our title says, it can involve you. Now we might ask the question in this verse, what does the word glory mean? The glory of the Lord. We'd like to put to you that that means the character. And so we could say that it means God plans to fill the earth with people that reflect his perfect character. These people will live forever on the earth and all people will be at peace. The earth also will be beautiful and full of bounty once again. And because of this, everything will give praise and honor to God 
forever. Now, you might be asking, well, what is God's perfect character? That's the next logical question. Well, if you have a Bible, because we don't have this verse, we're not going to have all the verses on the, on the slides. We'll have most of them. But if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to the second book of the Bible, which is Exodus in chapter 34. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but we just want to spend just a few verses and just see from the outset what God's perfect character is as he reveals to us in Exodus 34. So Exodus 34, and we're going to read from verses 6 and 7. And this is where the Lord passes by Moses, one of his faithful servants. So it says, The Lord passed by before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, and here's his character, his perfect character, He's merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. So what a wonderful character that our God does have. We see all those attributes there in those verses that we read. And so God's plan is to fill the earth with people that reflect those perfect characteristics. And so this evening, that's what we plan to do, to explore this plan that God has, a plan that's consistent right throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning right to the end of the Bible. So we might ask the next question, why a 7,000-year plan? How do we understand that? Where do we get that from? Well, I'd like to put to you that in the beginning of the Bible, there are seven days of creation. That is seven literal 24-hour periods. And so in the six days, there was the creative work. And if you come back with me now to the beginning of our Bible, right to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, We'll just take one example of one of these days, one of these 24-hour literal periods of creative work. And so we'll read from Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, which speaks about the first day. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And so that gives you an indication of the creative work that happened on day one, as we have on the slide, that light was created and separated from darkness. And then it goes on for the other six days of creation. But that's not our our main subject to go into all that detail. And then at the end of day six, there was a seventh day in which God rested another 24-hour literal period in which God rested. And we can see that if you turn over to chapter 2 of Genesis, and we'll read the first few verses there. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, 
because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. We just have to explain for a moment what it means by God resting. And that word rested means to repose or to desist from exertion or to desist from his work. And God did not need to rest as we do because God does not become wearied. But God stopped from doing his work and he rested. And as it were, he considered his creative handiwork that he had made in the six days before. And so there we have, as it were, from the Genesis account, very, very briefly, the, six, sorry, the seven days of creation. Now in the Bible, and we won't turn this verse up, I'll, I'll read it to you. It's in the New Testament from the second letter of Peter in chapter 3 and at verse 8. And it says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And so what we see from this verse is there's a principle here that one day is with God as a thousand years or a thousand years as one day. And so these seven days of creation is, is we could say, a pattern or an allegory of God's 7,000-year plan with the earth. And we sort of have tried as best we can to demonstrate that on the slide. So we have then the six days relating to 6,000 years of the rule of man on the earth from the time of creation, which we've just briefly looked at with Adam and Eve, all the way through until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ back to the earth. And we've put in brackets there that we could call this the kingdom of men. And then the last day, relating then to the seventh day, is a thousand-year rule by the Lord Jesus Christ, which is God's Son, and that will be on this earth. And we could label that as the kingdom of God. And so that's how we come to understand God's 7,000-year plan with the earth from the Bible. just to give you a bit of an overview where we'll go with the rest of this evening is I've just taken that 7,000 year plan and I'm just showing on this slide here those different key promises and the key events that we'd like to look at that give us a basic understanding of God's 7,000 year plan with the earth and most importantly how we can personalize that and how we can understand how we can be involved as well. And so we see there that right back at the beginning, of course, is the creation and the promise in Eden. So we'll look at that. Then we'll come forward about 2,000 years and look at the promise to a man named Abraham. And then we'll come another 1,000 years beyond that to a promise to David, who was a very well-known king in the time of Israel. And then we'll come forward another, about another 1,000 years and we'll look at the time when Jesus Christ was first on this earth, his birth, and those things that he taught. And then we'll come right through to the close to the end of the 6,000-year period, and we'll see that Jesus Christ is soon to return to this earth, and we'll understand a little bit about those events that happened then. And of course, there is God's kingdom ruled by Jesus Christ for a 1,000 years, and we'll understand a little bit what happens at the end of that 1,000 years. And so that's an outline of where we are heading this evening. And so coming right back again to the beginning of our Bible, and if you're with me, we're still back there in the early part of Genesis. And so we come to 4000 BC, the beginning of our Bible. And we see here that 
there is very much we talked about that summary of the creation including the creation of man and woman and that takes place in Genesis chapters 1 through to chapter 3. And we just want to read a few verses in Genesis chapter 1 which sort of as it were give us a bit of a summary of the creation. So in Genesis chapter 1 we'll pick it up at verse 26. And God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And then God goes on and blesses them and says to the man and to the woman, to Adam and to Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so we see there, as we come to the end of the creative period, the end of the sixth day, that man and woman are created, or Adam and Eve. And then there's a summary as we just move down to verse 31, and it says... And God saw everything he, that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so we see that summary there, that everything that God had made was very good. And so it was, I would put to you, ladies and gentlemen, that God's purpose from the beginning was to have the earth inhabited, right from the beginning of creation, and that all his creation would reflect glory to him. But as we move through Genesis, we find just as we come to chapter 2 that there was the fall in the Garden of Eden. And so we see as we just continue to pick up some of the key points from the record that we come to Genesis chapter 2 and at verse 15. And God gave some laws in the Garden of Eden concerning the trees that were in that garden. And so let's pick up the record in Genesis chapter 2 this time and at verse 15 and the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it and that idea of dress it is to serve in the garden or to work in the garden and that idea of keep it is to guard or to protect the garden and so we have here then God says in verse 16 the Lord God commanded the man saying of all the trees of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. So God gave them across all those things that were in the garden, thou mayest freely eat. But he says then in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a very specific tree, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so there is a very clear law here. If you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Very, very clear and simple law that God gave to Adam and to Eve. And so then we read on as we come to Genesis chapter 3, and we see then that there is the first lie leading to disobedience. And let's pick up the record then in Genesis 3 at verses 1 to 5. And now we're introduced to the serpent, and it says that the serpent was more subtle, or as that word means, crafty, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, if God said, 
ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent then says, The very first lie is recorded here in the Bible, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day they eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And so we see here that the serpent put some doubt in Eve's mind that you would not die if you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we read on in verse 6 and 7, and so we see now that the first sin is committed. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to desire to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also under her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And so we could see, as this process happened, that three lusts were excited. As we know, further on in the Bible, they're described as the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And these, all these three lusts are inherent in all of Adam and Eve's descendants, even down to today. And what was the result of this sin that happened in the Garden of Eden? Well, if you come to a little bit further down in the chapter, in Genesis 3, come down to verse 16, where God says, And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and that I desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so we see very clearly now that God enforces the law of sin and death. And because of that sin, death came. We see that very clearly in verse 19 at the end. He says to Adam, For out of it wast thou taken, out of the ground, out of the dust. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so when that process of dying Adam was to return from whence he came, which was the dust. We just have a couple verses on the screen from the New Testament which comment on those things that we have just briefly discussed. And so we see there that as a result of Adam's sin, the sentence of death passed to all men and women. And we are very well aware of those consequences that even happen today, that because we sin, we do die. And so the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, the letter to the Romans in the New Testament, at chapter 5 and at verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, that is Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But ladies and gentlemen, we are not left without hope because God is willing 
to save us. And this is where you can be involved. And we read that next passage, which was written by the Apostle Peter. And this is his second letter in chapter 3 and at verse 9. And it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some man counts slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so there is the promise of deliverance. And in another of the same letter that Peter writes, he speaks of these as exceeding great and precious promises. That is the amazing promise of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. They're exceeding great and precious promises because it's the promise of deliverance that was bound up in the very first promise of the Bible. And we'll turn to that now in Genesis 3 and at verse 15. And so at this same time, as God was enforcing the law of sin and death because of what had happened in the Garden of Eden, he was also promising a great hope for mankind. And so let's just read this verse together. It's on the screen as well, but if you have your Bible. In Genesis 3 and at verse 15, and it says, And I will put enmity, this is God speaking, between thee, that is the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So we'd just like to work our way through this promise, this verse here in Genesis 3, verse 15, and just break up the different component parts just to understand it a little bit better. So we see here that there's two seeds. There's the seed of the woman, and there's the seed of the serpent. And between these two, there is enmity, or as that word means, there's a conflict. And so what's the conflict between? Well, it's a conflict between two ways of thinking. There is the thinking of man or the thinking of the flesh, and there's the thinking of God, or we could say the thinking of the spirit. And in that verse there that I have in in that top left-hand box, Romans 8, and at verse 6 and 7, this is the Apostle Paul writing in Romans. He says, For to be carnally or fleshly minded is death, that leads to death, but to be spiritually or godly minded is life and peace. So we can see very much there's a conflict between these two ways of thinking. One leads to death, and on the other hand, one leads to life and to peace. And he goes on to say in verse 7 of Romans 8, because the carnal mind is enmity or at conflict against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So right here, even just in this first promise in the Bible, we see there's two ways of thinking that are at conflict with each other. And so we see that they're very much, this thinking of the flesh is in conflict with God. And so there needs to be a change of thinking in us. And then also, too, these two seeds. So there's the seed of the serpent. It's those that have a fleshly way of thinking. And then there's the seed of the woman who has a godly or a spiritual way of thinking. But also, too, Just think a little bit about this seed of the woman. So from this, we could say that a deliverer would be born. They would be born of a woman. But in the verse, there's no mention of a father. And that is because, as we'll see as we continue, the the father of this seed would be God. And we can 
look at Galatians 4 and at verses 4 and 5, and I'll just read that to you. It says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was to be a unique individual. Yes, he was born of Mary, of a woman, but he was also born by the power of God. He was a, to be a very unique individual. And so the promise in Eden goes on. It says that it would bruise thy head. It would bruise the head of the serpent. And so we could say that if someone was to bruise our head, well, I say we could say that it's a very fatal wound. And so it was to the serpent and that way of thinking. And so Jesus Christ came to destroy that way of thinking. And we have that verse. We won't go there, but that has that idea. And I'll just read that to you. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus Christ, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy, that's the fatal wound, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, or that word in the Greek is the diabolos, the false accuser. But then we see the other part, it says that it would bruise his heel. And when we think to who the seed of the woman is, that's bruising the heel of Jesus Christ. And when we think if we do hurt our heel or our toe or some part of our foot, well, that's a temporary wound. It's not a fatal wound. And so it was with Jesus Christ that he came and he was crucified and he did die. But because he lived a life of perfect obedience and he did not sin, God raised him from the dead and he now lives forever. And he is immortal at God's right hand. And so just those verses in 1 Corinthians 15, another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So it's very clear he did die, but he rose again. And so we could say that in the end, the woman's seed, that is, the thinking of the Spirit, will be victorious. And I just wanted to point out one other little bit that we haven't spoken about too much and will be a very key link between all the three promises we'll look at this evening. That is the idea of the seed. It talks about thy seed and her seed. And so that's a very important link that we'll see as we go through this evening. But just as we take a small digression and we think about that first great promise that we've just looked at from Genesis chapter 3, there is a very sad fact that we all know about, that many people have chosen their own way and not God's way, or they're ignorant of God's promises, which ends in eternal death. They, like Adam, return to the dust, never to live again. And yet, there are some who have chosen to follow God's way. And whilst they have died, they have a hope. The hope of the resurrection, of being raised to life again. 
And I'd like to put to you, ladies and gentlemen, this is where you can be involved in God's plan as part of this group who will be raised to life again. And so let's move on, this time to the promise to Abraham. And so what we're going to do now is fast forward from where we were at the beginning of creation, about 2,000 years in our Bibles, to 2000 B.C. And the promise to Abraham is the second greatest promise in the Bible. Sorry, the second great promise in the Bible. And as we look at the man Abraham... He was a very faithful man and very obedient to his God to the point that he was called in our Bibles the friend of God. And we can see some of these great promises that God gave to him. If you turn in your Bibles a few chapters on to Genesis chapter 12. And we'll just pick up a few verses here about the promise to Abraham. And so Abraham says, or sorry, God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, beginning at verse 1, he says, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And so God asks him to leave the land where he was living in Ur of the Chaldees and to go to a land that God would show him. What great faith. God. God didn't give him a map of where he was going, but it was the great faith of Abraham that he listened to God and he obeyed him. And he gave gave him these promises in verse 2. And I will make of thee, Abraham, a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And then we'll just come down to verse 7 of Genesis 12. And the Lord appeared unto Abram, or Abraham, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And so we've been using the name of Abram and Abraham a little bit interchangeably. And yes, later on in the record in the Bible, Abram is changed to Abraham. And he was given these great promises by God because he was very faithful and very obedient to God. And what's the key out of the promise to Abraham? Well, he's promised a land. God says, go to a land, and I will give you that land into your seed. And later in the Bible record, we're given a description of that land. It describes it from being in the Nile River in Egypt all the way through to the great river Euphrates, which is in modern-day Iraq, in this territory, of course, encompassing most of the Middle East including the land of Israel. And we also see another great part of the promise, just back in verse 3, it says, In thee, Abraham, shall all families of the earth be blessed. But when we look around us, would we say that all families of the earth are blessed? Well, that's definitely not the case. And so yet, this is something that is yet to be fulfilled. Now, what we'd like to do is just, it's on the screen, so we don't need to turn there, but just if we consider the words of Galatians. Galatians is another letter in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he comments on the life of Abraham, and this time Galatians 3, and at verse 8. And it says, In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, or the nations, 
through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And so we see here that the Apostle Paul picks up on this idea that the gospel message that is to be preached throughout all the world is this idea that was promised back to Abraham that in thee shall all nations be blessed, which links back to Genesis 12 and at verse 3. And we'll come back to that idea of the gospel very shortly. But I just wanted to read on, if you have a Bible, just come to the next chapter in Genesis 13, just a little bit more about the promises to Abraham. Genesis 13, beginning at verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art. And so we'll just pause there for a moment. So Abraham has made his travels and he is in the land of Israel now. And God says to him to look north, south, east, and west. And he says, for all the land that thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And he adds forever to thy seed forever. And then he goes on to say, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. So what an amazing promise, a land promised forever to a seed that would be innumerable, because I don't think anybody can count the dust of the earth. And so we know that Abraham died about 4,000 years ago, and he hasn't received the promise Therefore, he needs to be resurrected. He needs to be raised again to life to receive this promise. And just as we were reading through, I'm sure you saw or heard the idea of the seed. This being a very key part of the promises and a key link between the promises that we'll look at. And just continuing on, just a, a few more comments on the promise to Abraham. And coming again into the New Testament. And we can see how those things that were talked about in the Old Testament are brought forward into the New Testament and com commented on. And so we just want to pick up one verse in the book of Acts. And the Acts is that book that uh, talks about all those events that happened after Jesus Christ rose into heaven in the work of his apostles and the spreading of the gospel message to all the world. And so in Acts chapter 7, this is a speech that is given by a faithful man named Stephen. And he comments here in Acts 7 and at verse 5 and says, And he that is God gave him, that is Abraham, none inheritance in it in the land. No, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And so we see here the New Testament confirming those promises to Abraham of a land and that he would give it to his descendants or to his seed, that great link between the promises. And so we can see here very much that the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham and to his seed is yet still in the future. Now the other passage that we'd like to look at, and if you do have a Bible, let's, let's turn there because we're going to read a few verses so in the New Testament, we come to Galatians chapter 3. So this is probably about halfway through the New Testament, after the four Gospels. 
then Acts, Romans, Corinthians, and then Galatians. And again here, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the Galatians, his letter to the Galatians, has again some comments on the promises to Abraham. And we'll pick up, first of all, verse 16. It says, Now to Abraham and his seed, we have the idea of the seed again, were the promises made. And he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And so he very much links here that the promised seed is primarily the Lord Jesus Christ. So now let's continue on towards the end of the chapter at verse 26, because this is very exciting how we can be involved. For ye are all the children of God by faith in, in Christ Jesus. Verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so we can see here, as it, as it says, that that singular seed is Christ. But we can become part of that promise. How is it? By being baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we can be involved in God's plan. And we'll talk a little bit more about how we do that and how that comes about at the end of our presentation. But we must move on to the promise to David. And so again, if you have a Bible, come back into the Old Testament this time to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel and chapter 7. And I'm going to say that that's probably about a third of the way through the Old Testament, a quarter to a third of the way through. But if not, we have most of it on, on the slide if, if you're struggling to find that passage. And so when we come to the promise to David, as I mentioned at the beginning David was a great king in Israel. And David was a very faithful, obedient man like Abraham was. And David, he was called a man after God's own heart. And so because of this, because he was faithful and obedient, God gave him some very important promises. And this is the third great promise in the Bible that we'd like to look at this evening. And so if if you do have your Bible and can follow along, we'll read in... 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning at verse 12. And this is God speaking to David through Nathan the prophet. He says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, He shall build build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And then we'll just come down to verse 16. And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. So let's just stop for a moment and pick out the key parts of this promise to David. Well, we see that there's a kingdom and a throne, and that that would be forever. We see that there was a house, or we could say a temple, that was to be built. And again, we see there in verse 12 the mention of the seed, that key link between the three promises that we've considered. And also verse 14, we pick up some of these ideas that come from Genesis 3, that 
God would be his father and he would be God's son. And of course, this is referring to Jesus Christ. And we would have to say again, as we stand back and look at this promise, that if the house and the kingdom are established before David, that means that David will need to be resurrected. He will need to be raised to life again, because we know that David died about 3,000 years ago. And just before we go on and talk about our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to just briefly summarize these three promises, and we have gone through them very briefly. Sometimes we do spend a whole evening on each of those, but we needed to lay that foundation before we talk about Jesus Christ. But just briefly, the promise in Eden, we see that there is the seed of the woman who points forward to Jesus Christ, whose father is God, and that Jesus Christ has come to destroy sin and death. In the promise to Abraham, the seed, we saw that the seed of Abraham are all those that become part of God's family through baptism into the Lord Jesus Christ. And the key part there of the promise to Abraham is that the seed of Abraham will inherit the land. And even further in the Bible, in the New Testament, it speaks about the world and that they will inherit the world forever. And then lastly, which we just looked at, the promise to David that the seed of David is the Lord Jesus Christ, whose father is God. And that there is a promise of a kingdom and a throne to be established forever, centered in Jerusalem with Jesus Christ as king of the world. When we stand back and look at those, ladies and gentlemen, we say, what an amazing prospect, and that each one of us can be involved in these three great promises of the Bible. And so now we come to make a few comments about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you come with me to right to the beginning of the New Testament to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew at chapter 1, and we'll just pick out a, a few verses here. And so now as we've come on our journey through God's 7,000-year plan, we've now come about 4,000 years from the beginning of our Bible to A.D. 1, at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the very first verse of the New Testament tells us the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Matthew 1, verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And I'm sure, ladies and gentlemen, that has leapt out of the page to you that it is very clear that Jesus Christ is very much in the lineage of David, who had that great promise made, and he's also in the lineage of Abraham, who had that great promise made. There's no mistake of that statement of his genealogy. But we go on a little bit further, and we see then if we come down to verse 21, and this is the angel speaking to Joseph, who was the guardian of Jesus Christ. And he, the angel says, And she, that is Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins? Oh, well, I'm sure we've heard the echoes now back to the promise in Genesis 3 and at verse 15, that because sin brought death, but there was promised deliverance from sin and death through the seed of the woman, through Jesus Christ. 
And so we can see quite clearly here, just in these few verses we've looked at, that Jesus Christ is related to the promise in Eden, the promise to Abraham, and the promise to David. Well, let's just look at a few other verses just to make sure that we're on the right track and to confirm these things in our own minds. So we won't turn there just for the, uh, the, the sake of time, but in another gospel record talking about the life and times of Jesus Christ, the third book in the New, New Testament, that being Luke, in Luke chapter 1 and at verse 31, this is the angel this time speaking to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the angel says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob, or we could say the house of Israel, that's another name for Jacob, forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And so we can see again those echoes to those promises, especially this time to the promises to David, that Jesus would be the king who comes back to reign on earth, and he would reign on the throne of his father David. And yes, he would have a kingdom, and there would be no end. Also, too, as we go a little bit further on in the New Testament, we come again to the book of Romans, this time at chapter 15, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, Now that I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, why? To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And we could very um, easily say those fathers are referring to the fathers of Israel, which are Abraham and people like David and those promises that were made unto them. So those are a few things in the early life of Jesus Christ. What about, what did he teach about? And we're just going to pick out a couple things here that are relevant to what we're talking about this evening. But two things, Jesus clearly taught about the kingdom of God on earth, and he clearly taught about the resurrection. Two things that we saw come out again and again in those promises that we looked at. So we've come now just a little bit on. We know that Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30. So we've come to about AD 30. And so we see that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God on earth. And just two verses in that regard. In Luke 4 and at verse 43, where he says to the people of Israel that he's teaching to, he says, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am, am I sent. So very clearly, he was to preach the kingdom of God. And also, too, something that may be a little bit more well-known, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and at verse 10. And part of it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So very clearly, as Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray for God's kingdom to come. And where was it to be set up? It to be set up on earth. And what about the resurrection? Because we know that Abraham is to be resurrected and David is to be resurrected and many other faithful so that they can receive the promises that have been made unto them. And so just picking up one passage, this time in the fourth book of the New Testament in the Gospel of John, 
John chapter 11 and at verse 23. And the events surrounding this is that Jesus had a very dear friend, Lazarus, who had become sick and sick to the point of death. And he also in his family had two sisters, Martha and Mary. And so it says here that Jesus said unto her to one of the sisters, to Martha, thy brother Lazarus shall rise again. And Martha says unto Jesus, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus then confirms for her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so we can clearly see from this, and we know that the events in the narrative go on in the chapter, John chapter 11, that Christ does indeed raise Lazarus from the dead. He does have the power to give people life again. And so as we continue on our journey in time, and we don't come much further, but we know that Jesus had his ministry for three and a half years, and then he rose into heaven to be at God's right hand. But we know that his apostles continued the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ. And so we see there in Acts chapter 2 and at verse 22 that one of his apostles, this is Peter, says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And so we see from this passage that the Lord Jesus Christ had lived a perfect life of obedience to God his Father. And yes, he was crucified. And even though he was, and he was in the grave three days, he rose again to life, fulfilling Genesis 3, verse 15, and many other Old Testament prophecies. Well, we move on then to Philip, one of the other apostles. And in Acts chapter 8 and at verse 12, we see that he spoke about the gospel, and we talked about the gospel a little bit previously. And let's just have a read of Acts 8, verse 12. It says, and when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So I'd like to put to you that the idea of the gospel is two aspects, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And so the apostles continued to teach these things as Jesus Christ had. And one last example there from the Apostle Paul, and we've spoken quite a bit about the Apostle Paul, but one other quote here in 2 Timothy, his letter to Timothy, second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, who, that is, God has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we see quite clearly again, he's abolished death. He's brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel, or as we would say, 
the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Now we fast forward again on our timeline and we come to the present time in which we live. We've come through almost 6,000 years of human history from the beginning of the Bible. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord Jesus Christ will return to the earth to fulfill the promises made to Abraham and to David and to set up God's kingdom on the earth. And yes, you can be involved. And when we think about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth, there's many, there's hundreds of direct and indirect references in the New Testament to his return to the earth. And just briefly, because again, we could dwell on this for a whole evening, just a very brief summary of the key events that will very shortly occur on this earth. The first one, that there will be a resurrection and a reward of those responsible to God's law. And you could look at that in Daniel chapter 12 and in Romans chapter 2. There will then be the judgment on the nations in the battle of Armageddon. And of course, we know that the leader of God's army will be the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can look at Ezekiel 38 and 39, Daniel 11, Zechariah 14, and Revelation chapter 16 for more information on that. And then lastly, after there is the judgment and the battle, there will be the establishment of God's kingdom on the earth, which will last for a thousand years. And you can see some more detail in Revelation 11, Daniel 2, and Daniel chapter 7. We'd just like to pick up one, one verse or a few verses here from Acts chapter 3, which is the Apostle Peter commenting on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth where he says to the people of Israel that he was preaching to, he says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until, until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And so Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. But he will come, as this verse says, verse 21, when it is the times of the restitution of all things. And we believe that the return of Jesus Christ to the earth is very imminent. And the Bible describes many signs of his return and the conditions of the world when he will return. And all of these descriptors in our Bible match and fit our time. And whilst it's not our subject this evening, again, it's, it's a subject for a whole evening, I just wanted to share with you one very visible and significant sign, and that is the exit of Britain from the European Union. The Bible prophesied or the Bible predicted that around the time when Jesus Christ would return to the earth, Britain would no longer be aligned with Europe. No one can deny this fact. It's all over the media, ladies and gentlemen. We can all clearly see it. And therefore, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ must be soon. 
So we fast forward once more our last time on our timeline. And we come to the end of the thousand years from the beginning of the Bible. We've come through uh, 7,000 years of history very quickly in about 45 to 50 minutes. And we come now to the end of the thousand-year rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just briefly, a couple of the events that will happen around that time. There will be that thousand-year period of the kingdom of God on earth with Jesus Christ as ruler. And at the end of that period, there will be a second resurrection and a second judgment. And that will be for those mortals that have lived during the thousand years and then they have died. Or it also could be for those that are alive at the end of that thousand-year period. They will be judged, resurrected and judged. And then after that has occurred, God will be all and in all. Yes, God's purpose with the earth, his 7,000-year plan, will be fulfilled. And you may think back to what we began with in Numbers 14, verse 21. But as truly as I live, says God, all the earth shall be filled with the glory or the character of the Lord. And so we've come, as it were, from the beginning with that quote. And God's stating his purpose now to the end of the thousand years when that will be fulfilled. We'd just like to read these verses that are on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is one of those little snippets in the Bible that we have that speak of what will be at the end of the thousand-year rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifested that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also be subject unto him that put all things under him. Why? That God may be all in all. Ladies and gentlemen, this is truly wonderful. From a God that is merciful, a God that is gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. And he wants men and women like you and me to develop these characteristics also. That is his 7,000-year plan with the earth. And just a couple of things in conclusion. In Psalm 72, it describes the thousand-year rule of Jesus Christ on the earth. And I suggest to you and highly recommend that you go back in your Bible and have a look at Psalm 72 as it describes the wonderful rule of Jesus Christ and the wonderful conditions that will exist on this earth so different from today. But just at the end of that psalm, in Psalm 72, verse 18 and 19, David says these wonderful words, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Or as that word means, so be it. And we ask ourselves these questions this evening as we close. 
How are you able to join with David in this wonderful prayer? How can you become part of the seed of Abraham? And how can you inherit the promises made to Abraham and to David that we've talked about this evening? Well, here are the steps how you can be involved in God's wonderful plan with this earth. It is to have a knowledge of and a belief in the gospel message contained in the Bible. And we spoke about that gospel, the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. There is then a need for repentance, or that means a change of allegiance, to change from serving ourselves and to serving God, who is the creator of heaven and earth. And then there is a need to be baptized. We saw that in Galatians 3, baptized into the saving name of Jesus Christ. And this baptism is a full immersion in water. And then after that, there is a life of obedience to God's principles. It is remaining faithful and obedient to God until his son, Jesus Christ, returns to the earth and establishes God's kingdom. And I'd like to leave you with the words of Jesus Christ himself, which he said to his disciples before he ascended to God in the heavens. He says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.